So our faith is not a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. He lives within you. He is assisting you to become like himself. Hello and welcome to You Matter, a Spring Hills podcast. I'm Josh Meyer. Thank you so much for joining us today on our Going Deeper episode. As our church grows, we want you to feel loved and cared for. And one way to do that is to let you know our hearts from our pastors and our community leaders as we are committed to being connected to you as we love, live, and lead like Jesus Christ. Today, we are going deeper on this past weekend's sermon titled, Followship, with the scripture of Mark 1, 16-17, calling us to body, mind, and soul completely follow Jesus. Today, I have Pastor Tom with me to help me go through it. Pastor Tom, how's it going? It's going very well, Josh. I'm having a great day. Hopefully you are too on this uh, sunny and warm day that we're having here in Ohio in February. So feeling great about that. It is a beautiful day. Any, any day in Ohio when the sun graces, its, uh, graces us with its presence and it, during the winter months, it's definitely a gift. So definitely awesome. Tom, I got to tell you right now, and I know that we were on our run yesterday and we were talking about this, but you just praise God for what he did through you this past weekend. Uh, Not only did I get to laugh and also be kind of sucked into the message a little bit more, but I walked away with conviction and I'm so grateful for what God did through you on that. Was there anything that you left out this past week? Well, thanks, Josh, for your kind words. Of course, I appreciate that. And uh, there was actually something I left out and I was... um, There's a quote that I was going to use and it's an interesting quote. This is actually... Um, in the in the, prelude, the prelude of Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard quotes C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. And when I say quote, what I probably mean is paraphrase, because what he what he says I cannot find <laughs> anywhere in Mere Christianity, because I look for the quote after I heard it. But I'm going to give you that paraphrase, which I was going to use in the sermon, and you can probably see how it fits into the idea of following, following Jesus. Uh, the quote says this, C.S. Lewis is paraphrased to say, so our faith is not a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. He lives within you. He is assisting you to become like himself. First of all, I love this quote because I'm quite sure that in my younger days when I was maybe eight through 13 years old. That's the first part of the quote is what I, how I lived, how I attempted to live my Christian life. I heard what Jesus said, or I read what Jesus said, or I heard a sermon about what Jesus said. And in my own flesh, I tried to carry it out. I tried to do what Jesus said, love your enemies and so on and so forth. And it was impossible and it made me feel deflated and defeated and like I just couldn't do it very well. But this quote rightly says that that's not it. That's not what faith is about. It's just in our own strength, trying to emulate Christ. Rather, he says, the real son of God is at your side. Now, when I, when I say that, I'm thinking immediately of John 14, 
where Jesus says, uh, the comforter will come, the spirit of truth, and he will, he says two things about the Holy Spirit, which then Paul calls the spirit of Christ later in Galatians 4. He says the spirit of truth is, is with you and within you. And that's why I like this quote, because it gives you both of those. It says he's with you. The real son of God is at your side. He lives within you. He's assisting you to become like himself. And so I didn't I didn't quite have a I wasn't far enough down the road with the sermon to know where I might insert that quote, but I felt like it's important to remember that following Jesus is not done in our own strength. We can't mm. we can't just hear hear the thing and then make ourselves do it using willpower and extra focus and strength. It is with his assistance that we can grapple with the understanding of following him. Um, I'm just going to guess, podcast listeners, that Josh likes that quote. Uh, just based on the look on his face, I think he likes it. Let's see what Josh thinks about that. What do you think about that quote? Well, I love Dallas Willard, and that is definitely a paraphrasing by Dallas Willard because you can hear Dallas Willard in yeah. that. But I think what probably is leading up to that is the part where C.S. Lewis says that we are to be like little Christ. Yeah. And I think that's probably where Dallas Willard was building is that is that the goal is to be in Christ. As you were sharing what you were actually uh, reflecting upon on that quote, my heart was drawn to something that God just really spoke into me last night. I was, my wife was doing some reading and we were kind of doing some bedtime reading before we were going to bed. And I just came across this, these words together, King Jesus. Hmm. And I immediately had this like vision for what could be a cool sermon graphic where the words king and Jesus are present. And then in the word king, the K and the G slowly dissipate and the J-E-S of Jesus slowly dissipate. And then what you have left is in us. Mm. Wow. King Jesus, and then this visualization where in King us. Jesus in yeah, us. And nice. I think that's what you're saying right there. And yeah, it hit me last night. I actually tried to type out a visual quick, you know, footnote reminder for my brain if we ever wanted to use something like that. And then uh, that's really as simple as that. King yeah. Jesus in us. Yeah. So that's really the only thing I left out of the message. It awesome. Was well, we've got some doozies of questions. Yeah, let's do it, man. So let's, let's get it. after some yeah. of these questions for you. So right. the first one is about the pace of Christ. And this question is, sometimes I feel, I in my life, I feel like my soul is in a hamster wheel and I can't get the wheel to slow down. In your message, you spoke of following Jesus as his pace. What is the pace of Jesus? Yeah, this was a, kind of a feature of the second point that I was giving in the sermon was this idea that if we're following him, we're following him at his pace. And what I said in the sermon specifically was that when we do walk at his pace, we have access to his presence, his strength, and his rest. I'm implying with that quote, that that point that I made was that if we don't walk at his pace, we may find receiving his rest, his strength, and his presence much more difficult. It's available to us, no question. But when I'm, when I'm operating in my own pace, when I'm going faster than Jesus wants me to go, it's harder to find that. So the question here, the essence of it is, what is the pace of Jesus? So I think, I think to find that pace really requires of us just to kind of on a baseline examine our own pace. I'm imagining that I'm speaking to some people very much like myself who are somewhat fast-paced. They just, they kind of go through life 
at a fast clip and uh, they'd like it to go faster even than it does and and they're 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 probably outpacing Christ and they probably know it in their heart right now and then mm. I'm guessing there's some people that their pace is slower than the pace of Christ if they were literally following Jesus as his disciple in the first century, he'd be like, hey, we're leaving. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Uh, they, they're operating at a, a slower pace. So I think the first thing for someone to evaluate would be, what is my pace? What is, am I, am I fast paced? Am I slow paced? It, because we, we're going to believe that Jesus walks at a perfect pace, that his pacing is perfect. So we're either often faster than him or often slower than him. And once you develop that understanding about yourself, okay, I'm faster or I'm slower, then then it's really about coming back to his pace. And that comes through a series of asking him directly, am I going too fast? Am I or am I going too slow? Jesus, am I following you? In the sermon, I, I was attempting to be humorous when I talked about how maybe we're pushing Jesus, we're pushing him from behind, like go faster. Um, I didn't share this in the sermon, but but my uh, my youngest daughter Ella. Um, Many times, I, she's also a very fast-paced person, and many times we're in the car together. And I'm, I'm like two feet from the car in front of me, and I'm maybe at the speed limit or a little faster. And she's like, Dad, hurry up. Go fast. you got to get there on time. You know, whatever. And I'm, I'm like, honey, do you want me to bump the car ahead of us? Do you want us to hit that car? You know, and, and she's always like, just go faster. You know, anyway, sorry, Ella, if you're listening, I love you and you're wonderful. Um, but that's the image I have of Jesus is like, I'm going to push, we're pushing him from behind, like, go faster. You know, I think the important thing about the pacing is that we're asking him, how is my pace? And that's something, that's a spiritual thing anyone could do listen to this podcast at any time they want. They could pause it right now or whatever and just ask him how do you feel i remember i said in the sermon ask god simple short questions just ask god this question how's my pace ask him that question quietly listen let him respond how's my pace is it, is it too fast is it too slow where am i you know what's what's happening with that and i think i think people probably internally know already if they're fast or slow um and then it's about really finding that pace of jesus that perfect pace. Um, not too slow, not too fast, just productively doing it. So would you say, Josh, that you are fast-paced, slow-paced? Are you pushing Jesus? Is he pushing you? Where, where do you where do you find yourself with that question? I would say that I find myself often too fast-paced, actually, for a lot of different reasons. Part of it can come from a good place in the sense that I have a great desire to want to do great work for God and do great work for my family, and that is an absolute wonderful gift. Um, but the other part is um, that I would say that um, essentially I think that I can want something more than what maybe God is wanting, sure. you know, and, yeah. and, and just because it may be earnest in the heart, it doesn't necessarily mean it's what he wants. And oftentimes when I go into prayer, I find myself having a desire to want to pray for a thing and I can not always necessarily be surrendered right. and, and, in my prayer, and it's not always coming into the posture of saying, what would you like to, me to pray for, God? I would really love to pray for my grandmother's health, who's ending her last few days here. Yeah, But it's odd because there's another fellow, um, actually employee of our church, and She's going through the, at the time of remembering her grandmother's loss. And I feel like every time I have gone into prayer over these last few days, wanting to pray for my, my grandmother's moving on to the next chapter, 
um, he has leaned into me and said, you know what, your family is so happy and excited to celebrate her last days and she's doing well. I want you to pray for this other person in her memorial of her grandmother right now. And so it's been actually a gift in that way. But I think it's really listening to ask God what to pray for. One of the things that I think about when I think about the pace of Christ is I think about anything that takes you away from his greatest gift, his presence. And when I feel like I'm moving too fast, I feel like that I am more focused on the future. Mm-hmm. And when I'm moving too slow, I could be more stuck in the rut of thinking about my past. Interesting. And in both of those situations, I'm not receiving the greatest gift, which is his presence. And that would be his pace. Now, what do you think? Say, yeah, so I think it's good. And actually, I, I'm holding back a few of my thoughts because I know the next question that you're going to ask me. <laughs> and the next question is a good place to unpack more. Let's do it. This pace thing. So let's yeah, get after ahead. this next question. So here's the next question. It's about being dangerously tired. This weekend, you spoke about the levels of fatigue, calling the most severe form dangerously tired. What some? What are some things you can share that will be to uh, an awareness of falling into the category of dangerously tired. What causes dangerously tired in a person? Yeah, so this is where I was talking about the book that I'm currently reading, An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And the author of the book had like a range of where you might be personal energy-wise. And what she's really saying is one of the ways to keep yourself healthy and away from being this phrase dangerously tired is having times with God in silence and solitude. And and even as you picture it, you probably can sense that's true, that being, being in an environment where there are absolutely no distractions, it's silent. Uh, you're in solitude, no one else is there, and you're really in that moment just with God. You, you, you have no agenda. You're just in God's presence. You, you've, you've at that moment, your pace has slowed to nothing, basically. You're sitting, usually, um, and you're just receiving from Him in a very conscious way. Um, so, so she's saying that's one of the things we need to avoid being dangerously tired. Um, the examples of dangerously tired would include um, escapist behaviors like overeating, overdrinking, just just dulling your senses by watching endless amounts of television or um, something I can get into sometimes is which is just reading, just reading and reading and reading. And uh, it just sort of takes your mind somewhere else and you're not really attending you know, to yourself. Another great way to know you're dangerously tired in the book, she says, is if you wake up exhausted if you if you hmm. you don't wait so, so she's she really pushes the idea of being energized and refreshed that should be every day for you this is how you should be waking up energized and refreshed um or maybe it's after that first cup of coffee possibly <laughs> that you're feeling energized and refreshed and if you are then she would say yeah you're you're in a really good spot you, you anywhere from energized and refreshed to good t- to what she calls good tired and I, that phrase really resonates with me good tired i know i know what that feels like i'm gonna feel that later on today probably and um it's it's tired but it's good you, you should be tired you know i already ran six miles today and i'm gonna work a full day and i, I got a 13 hour day i'm working on here um with an elders meeting tonight and all kinds of things happening. So I'm going to be good tired later, but I'm not going to be exhausted or dangerously tired. Um, I think dangerously tired for me is just when there's too many activities stacked up on on each other. Um, I do twice a month, I work a 13 hour day. Um, but if I work 
every week a 13-hour day, which I have done multiple times in this ministry career that I have, or I have two 13-hour days in a row. That happens to me sometimes too. Um, I'll be tired. I'll, I'll need rest. I will need to refresh myself. I, I know um, I can work 60 to 70 hours a week uh, for, in a single week, but if I do three weeks in a row of that, I'm miserable. I'm just, I'm just, you don't want to be around me. You don't want to see me. You don't want to spend time with me. Um, I'm dangerously tired and that comes out as grumpy. That comes out as like, I'm, I'm focused right. on my needs and not anyone else's, um, which is not where, how I want to live or what call, Christ, Christ calls me to live that way. Um, I'm guessing right now I'm talking to a lot of people who probably are, are what the book author called trending towards dangerously tired or they can resonate with the idea of being dangerously tired. And if you remember, I asked the congregation when I was preaching, hey, raise your hand if, you, if you've ever been, um, and almost every person, you know what I mean, raises their hand because all of us know that feeling. Um, I would say walking with Christ, following Christ, walking with Jesus is also about an energy level. It's also about going at his pace, like we said in the last question. Going at his pace allows us to not be dangerously tired. And something else to consider is, and this is a big part of our life, Josh's pastors, but anyone, anyone's life listening, is um, surprises come. Things you were not expecting are going to come. And you need to have a reservoir of energy available for to, to be at your best in a surprise moment, a pri- surprise situation, a crisis, something happening that you weren't expecting. You can't be operating at the limit of your of your strength, the limit of your energy, so, you know what I mean? At all times, because there's there's going to be things coming that you weren't really expecting. Um, and that's why I think being aware of the understanding of being dangerously tired um, is good because you can prevent it from happening. Um, and I would I would agree with the author of the book. I think times in silence and solitude with God is helpful, very helpful uh, to prevent that dangerously tired. I also think, you know, going to bed on time, eating well, staying hydrated, exercise. These are all ways of taking care of the human body that God has given us. Hmm. Uh, but really, it's, it's our soul resting as well. That, that the Holy Spirit just bringing rest to our soul. And, you know, of course, I'm remembering Jesus saying, come to me, all ye, I just said ye, I King James that thing, did uh, all you uh, who are um, weary and burdened. And I, every time I say that verse, weary and burdened just kind of lands on my heart. I know what that feels like. To be weary and burdened probably is to be dangerously tired. That's probably what it means. So that's an invitation from Jesus. When you're tired, you're dangerously tired, you're, you're exhausted, come to me and I will give you rest. Then he says, beautifully, because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Beautiful, mm. beautiful, beautiful. Um, that's a big deal. Don't let yourself become dangerously tired. I also remember I've said a number of times, it does not glorify God when I am exhausted. That is not glorifying to God. That's not me being a steward of what he's given me. And so I've got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And one of the things that I love that you did is, is you were working past the tired and fatigue of the physical state. And then right towards the tail end, you lip right into dangerously tired at the soulful state. Right. I loved how you did that. And I was actually going to bring that up myself because one of the things that I was thinking of when you were talking about Ruth Haley Barton's comments mm-hmm. on an entire book on solitude and silence is because that is the nourishment, not of the physical self as much, although there are byproduct benefits, that is an intentional and direct nourishment 
of the soul. Absolutely. And I think that's a great question to evaluate is, is that you are going to go home today. You're going to be physically tired. Yeah. And you have been on mission, though, mm-hmm. following the blueprint that God has called you for your life today. And while the, while the body is fatigued, the soul will be nourished. Yeah. And at peace. And I think that's a question that you can ask podcast listeners to yourself is, is it well with my soul? Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. And sometimes we think that that overwhelmed feeling is because of some physical need that we have to have, but rather it's overwhelmed at the soul level. Right which in turn means undernourished at the soul level, which is what you so beautifully brought up, is come to me, mm-hmm. all who are weary, because that's where the soul level nourishment comes from. And that is where also the subsequent source of dangerously tired is. Yeah, right. Absolutely. That's so good. Well, we yeah, got one more final question Let's here. It, we want to close this yeah. out here. And this is about being on mission. And podcast listener, whoever sent this in, thank you so much for the gift of uh, sending this honest and transparent question in. My husband is a good man. I can tell he believes because he is constantly studying the Word. But one thing that I struggle with is that when you are truly sold out for Jesus, shouldn't you be on mission as well? Should I be content to not push my husband to put his faith into action Or is there something that I should do to confront the fact that all he wants to do is simply study and not get involved with the church or the community? And I think this is coming probably from the latter parts of Carrie, take up your cross portion of your sermon. Yeah, well, yeah, that was point three. I said to follow Jesus means that you are on a mission and expecting adventure. I enjoyed preaching on that point of the sermon. And I I certainly believe that, that Jesus will lead you. If he's leading you, he will lead you to impact others for his glory, for his kingdom, um, by sharing the gospel or just being an incredible example in the way that you live or, um, you know, also in very specific ways. You know, he's, he's led you, Josh, for example, to become a pastor and have a ministry and, um, he, you're following him and that's where he led you, uh, because that's what he does, that he is, he is on mission. He's always working, as it says in, you know, John chapter five. And so we are, if we're following him, we're working as well. Um, so I think what we see here in the question four, is what I'm going to call a good problem. It's a good problem to have. So Mm. here's a wife. She's observing her husband. He's a believer and he loves the word of God. He loves it. Um, But he doesn't really get involved with other people. He's not impacting anyone, influencing anyone. He just has it. Maybe he has his big quiet time in the morning and uh, and spends time in God's word. Um, But you know, I have this little phrase, Josh, that I've been saying recently. Good problems are still problems. Mm. Uh, Because at Spring Hills right now, we have a lot of good problems. But those good problems still need to get solved. (laughs) Good good problems are still problems. Uh, And so I would say there is something for this gentleman that is a little bit off. He is um, Paul, Paul talks about being puffed up with spiritual knowledge, and it just—it's kind. Of, also, there's this, it, this imagery that sometimes is talked about, where like you just keep consuming the word, but you're not sharing.
sharing, you're not, it's not, it's not actually translating into action in your life. And so it's kind of like you're spiritually overweight. You gotta, you gotta get some exercise in, man. All you're, all you're doing is eating the word. You're just eating the word, eating the word. You're getting fatter and fatter. You gotta get out there, get on your feet, lose some weight, uh, and share what you're learning, you know, from others. But right. I do not think the, the person who asked this question, she asks if she should push him. So I think, I think she should be very careful. All, uh, spouses, all husbands and wives, pay, pay attention carefully to what I'm saying. You should be really careful about when it comes to your spouse uh, and pushing them. Because when you push a husband or you push a wife to spiritual action, sometimes sometimes it's a backfire effect. It actually goes the other direction. It just like becomes like a, a nagging, like a, hey, you know you should. Hey, you know you should. Well, guess what? I'm not going to because you keep telling me that I should. Um, I think for any spouse, the first thing you do is you pray. You pray for your spouse. You should you you should be already praying for your spouse. I, li- I like to talk about praying for and with your spouse every day of your married life. Uh, you pray for them, you pray with them. So you're praying, number one. And then number two, I think she she would be better than pushing him into like a, a mission. It, just more like, honey, you love the word of God. Don't you? Maybe you want to study it with some other men. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'd be better for you to have some other men. It's to study it with, to talk about your ideas. Or maybe a beautiful thing for this woman and this man would be if he he could take all of his biblical knowledge that he loves and actually he could lead a Bible study. That's what the wife should be suggesting. Um, not like, do something, do anything. No, honey, you are rich in the word. Shouldn't you be teaching someone or mentoring someone? Shouldn't you, you know, I, I just think you're so wise. Now, I'm not, I'm not being manipulative in what I'm saying with the wording she no, you're used. you're being honoring yeah, I'm just, speaking Yeah, truth. I'm just saying if she could honor him and his love and then let his passion for the word translate to teaching the word. Um, it, we should be cautious about only having inflow of spiritual knowledge with no outflow, with no uh, mission, with no sharing, with no no teaching with no impacting others. But I think she should be gentle, gentle and caring. Hey, everyone, be gentle and caring with your spouse. This is just generally good advice that I'm giving right now. Um, and that's that's what I would say. Yeah, so, so what you should do right now, anyone listening to the podcast, is just examine your own life. How much input is there in flow? You're reading the word, you're praying, you're coming to church, you're listening to really great podcast. Good job out there. Well done. Uh, well done. But at the same time, are you involved in influencing someone else, mentoring someone or um, being a good example, just finding a way to, you know, to, to really invest in someone's life? You know, I'm just, I'm remembering a story right now. Um, a woman in my community group, her name's Natalie, you know, she's awesome. And she, across the street neighbor was just a, you know, a girl not doing well, probably 18, 19 years old. And she, Natalie just stepped up to mentor her, just to, you know, to mentor her. It wasn't a spiritual mentorship. It was just kind of a life, a general life mentorship. Um, and before she knew it, that mentorship became actually spiritual. Mm-hmm. And then before, and then before too long, you know, Natalie was with me baptizing this young lady. And uh, it was just an awesome thing to witness oh, how like so awesome. a heart of service, a heart of, um, you know, just caring for someone mm-hmm. else led to kind of a mentoring relationship that then led to a spiritual, a spiritual transformation as right. well. Um, so getting involved with others is really important. Being, I think being on mission 
expecting adventure, um, I think is the only way to really live the Christian life that, that is happening. And if it doesn't feel like adventure, if it feels boring to you, you're not doing it right. Uh, oh. it's, it's, it's not, uh, you're not approaching it correctly. Uh, it, that's, I would say, with a lot of, with a lot of things, marriage. If your marriage is boring, you're really not approaching it correctly. Uh, because marriage is a beautifully exciting thing and, um, just something to think about. What do you think, Joshua, about my thoughts there? Well, I I think it's all very true and very good. And I, this question, I actually took some time with in prayer as it came in. And one of the things that came to my mind was obviously James and how he spoke about faith without works is dead faith and things like that. Um, but I think that there's a linear progression. And I think at the core of someone who is hesitant towards being on mission, while at the same time proclaiming that they are deep in their faith or in their study or what have you, is I think the element of risk. Mm. And oh, in a world so that's risk adverse, I think that you look at the core decision, you have, you've made a decision for faith, your faith has pulled you towards the Word, it's pulled you towards a desire of understanding, but at some point, faith manifest will end up driving you towards being on mission. And the critical element of mission is an adventure that requires risk. And risk goes right back to the core of who you are, your faith. Absolutely. And I think that's the question. So if you're someone who's hesitant towards being on mission, towards going to step out, because we have siloed ourselves with the effects, the effects of quarantining and things like that, and our society is more or less trusting, more or less able, more or less desirable to come outside of your comfort bubble, particularly in our culture, you have to ask yourself, what's my relationship with risk? Because that is directly correlated to adventure. It a is. true element of adventure is taking you outside of your comfort zone and embracing risk. And really what you're doing is you're embracing your faith. And yeah. in order to do that, you need to be on mission. And I think that's really what it needs to be, an invitation into your prayer time with Jesus. Jesus, what is my relationship with risk? And where do you want me to have faith in you and to step out? And to be your eyes and your ears and your feet and your hands and your love. Yeah, and some words that would match what you're saying, Josh, are words like courage and words like boldness. And I think those are words that people can consider as well. Like, am I, is there a way to build the amount of risk that I'm willing to take? Or can I be more courageous? Can I have more courage to talk to someone, to open my mouth, to step into? you know, a conversation about faith. Um, it's an adventure. Your heart rate's going to go up, no doubt. You're going to, it's going to feel scary and exciting and you might be rejected and there's all kinds of things that might happen, but it is really a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to see happening. So that is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate it. And podcast listeners and all of our church fellow members, let's go on adventure together. We're building his kingdom and all signs are pointing towards great green pastures of and continued growth and blessing because of the biblical soundness of this church. So please be on adventure with us. Let's embrace risk and let's do this together as we point to our wonderful lead pastor who points to him. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast episode today. One of the things that is makes our podcast very special is that 
This weekend's sermon was about being on mission. One way that you can be on mission is that you can go to our podcast page and rate our page, as well as provide a comment about what you like about our podcast. When you provide comments about our podcast, it actually encourages the podcast algorithm to share our podcast with others outside of our community. And what better way to share God's message and invite people into our family than to make a comment on our podcast making us more available to the world. Again, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. And please remember that more important than anything else, you are loved, you are welcome here, and you matter. Pastor Tom, could you please lead us out in prayer? I'd love to. Father God, we thank you so much for this this time we had together to discuss the questions that were asked about the sermon and just uh, have a great time discussing what it means to follow Jesus. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, let us in a fresh way hear that, that simple two-word call, follow me, and that we would get up and follow you with immediate obedience. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.